turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Jesus Christ is the greatest that there is. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. There's none like Him. For those of you that have been saved for some time, you have tried to comprehend Him and you find so often that He once again boggles your mind at how good He is, how perfect He is, how there is nothing that He ever does wrong, how His knowledge is without end and He continues to know all things. Just last week as we considered the works of Jesus Christ and you can look there at the end of John and and uh, you could... If you were to, to try to write out all the things that Jesus has done, the books would not be able to be contained in the world. <laughs> well, you could think about that for a long time. <laughs> it's amazing what Jesus Christ has done for us this very week. How He's sustained us. How He's kept us from harm and kept us from sin. Have you thought about what you might be doing today? If you didn't know Jesus Christ, what you might be doing today if you did not have the impression of Christ upon your life, even if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, here's the amazing thing. What would you be doing now? What would you be doing now if someone somewhere did not leave an impression of Christ in your life? I remember the the months before I came to know the Lord. And it was, it was about a month where I started to seek after the Lord with much more of my heart than I ever did. Before, friends of mine would come knock on my door and ask me to go to church, and I would tell them in no uncertain terms, no. And now, for some reason, by the grace of God, I was beginning to say yes. What might I have been doing on Sunday mornings if the impression of Christ had not been left in my life because of those men and women. What might I have been doing Saturday night if the impression of Christ had not been left by those men and women? And and the, the amazing thing was is that I lived for Saturdays. My life was consumed with how much I could drink on Friday and Saturday nights, drink alcohol. <laughs> That was what my life was all about. It was a consumption of these things. And what a sad life it was. But the very impression of Christ in that month or so before I came to know the Lord. I wasn't saved and not drinking didn't get me saved. But the amazing thing was is I wasn't drinking Saturday night like I was before because the impression of Christ left with by those men and those women in my life. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to use you in that same way? There are men and women whose lives are in shambles because of their sin. That word shambles has to do with meat markets where the 
meat is flown all around the room. Like an explosion of meat. And that's what their lives are like. And the impression that you leave could, could by the grace of God, lead to the, to the place where their lives are not continuing down this path where they can have the influence of the gospel begin to work its way in their life. They are not saved yet. But somehow, by the grace of God, their lives are no longer leading to the path of destruction because now they're seeking after the Lord in ways they never thought they ever would. And some of you in here, you got saved when you were really young. You know, I have five children. I don't want any of my children to be 19 when they get saved. Now, if that happens to be the day, I will praise God as long as they're saved. But I want my children saved young. I don't want... I want my life before I was saved to be something that they say, I don't want that because of how dangerous it is. Because of what... what happened to dad and what could have happened to him and and how miserable he was. I do not look back at my life before Christ with fondness. I never want to go back. In fact, it's an amazing thing. It's hard for me to really remember life without Christ. I know it was there and I can remember some things. But life with Christ has been so much better. There's so much more to know and remember and love. I don't want my children to grow up and make life decisions without Christ that they can't really get out of. I want them to be saved much earlier. I want them to be saved much earlier. But I tell you what, even a, even a young person whose life is gone down the tubes remarkably and amazingly, and this is so true, can be transformed because the impression of Christ left by you and I in this room. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus Christ is the greatest. And He deserves to be known. People ought to know Him. They ought to know about our great God. Right? We can look in this world and talk about how bad it's getting. And it's true We can't look at the world and say it's getting better. It's getting worse. (laughs) This should not be a surprise for us who know the Scripture. God did not say that He was going to cause things to get better and better. You can read through the Gospels. You can read through the epistles. And there's nowhere that God says, hey, things are going to get better and better. He says things like this. Wolves are going to come in sheep's clothing. (laughs) He says things like this. People are going to have many teachers having itching ears. (laughs) You see that today. He talks about children being disobedient to parents in the last day. He said, well, children have always been disobedient to parents. Not like they are today. Sometimes when we're out and we see moms and dads trying to, to work with their children, it almost leads you to tears how difficult it is. How difficult it is. But Jesus Christ 
has left us here so that those children, those young people, those adults, those young adults, those older adults might know Christ. I've had so many experiences of people whose lives you look back and say, it's so sad. I remember going to the nursing home in Coventry and befriending Ed, 80 years old. He'd been married several times. He had several children. You know how many of them visited him in the nursing home? Zero. He wasn't all that bad of a guy. (laughs) He was nice to me. But his life in shambles. And sadly so. At the end of his life. Because he didn't know Christ. And ultimately... The great tragedy is this. Without Christ, there is no eternity in heaven with God. There's an eternity of separation from God forever. A place where there is punishment. A place of hell. That God does not want one person to go to. And this is what we see of Jesus Christ in Luke 19. In Luke 19, we see what most people in town saw as the most vile person. In every town, there's all kinds of vile people, but this man was the most vile. His name was Zacchaeus. And I'll be honest with you, we we look at tax collectors and we say, Oh, yeah, I know, tax collectors, they got to do their job. But Zacchaeus was a wicked man and he lived in a wicked system. It was a system where if you were the tax collector, you got to collect as much as you wanted to and keep everything above what you were supposed to give to the Roman government. And so if you were savvy, you got a lot. You became rich off the backs of the workers of that town, of that city. Zacchaeus was amongst the worst. He knew himself. That he defrauded people of their hard-earned money. And there's very few things that people find more vile than fraud, is there? There's all kinds of things that we're... We say, that's bad, but when people start taking our money, (laughs) when people start taking our money to where we are suffering and maybe cannot provide for our families, there's very few things that we're going to get more mad at a person than that, right? Well, here's the thing. Zacchaeus did this to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And here comes Jesus with a huge throng of people. And Zacchaeus, because he's so little, climbs up into that little sycamore tree. And Jesus comes up and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming and eating at your house today. They go and have a meal. And at the end of it, he fully repents. And even goes so far as to say... Everything that I've defrauded people, I'm going to give back fourfold. (laughs) And this impression upon people was not a good one of Jesus. They did not look and say, look how kind Jesus is to the most vile. Now we may have that impression today as Christians and see how Jesus can transform the, the harlot or transform the drunk. Or transform the person who, if given another day without Christ, may have killed himself with fentanyl. And we glory to God. But the folks, these were the ones, they were personally 
affected by this person. And here's the thing. It's very difficult to minister to people who have seen Christ forgive someone who personally affected them to destruction. And I have dealt with people who have said, well, my uncle, he wrecked my home when he was young, when, when we were younger. He wrecked it. And he said, oh, he got saved. And I can't deal with that. I'm not going to believe in Jesus if Jesus is going to save that kind of guy. Here's the amazing thing. There's not one person that Jesus does not want to be saved and to transform their life. And the amazing thing is Zacchaeus was willing to pay back fourfold what he was going to bring, but the people still found it hard to deal with. And so they finish, Zacchaeus finishes, and in verse 8 it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from him, by man, by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And verse 9, And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as, as he also is the son of Abraham. In verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. What is the purpose of Christ's coming and death and resurrection? What is His purpose of having life and blood and a brain to seek and to save that which was lost? So in verse 11, the the throng of people heard this in verse 11 and they heard these things. And He added and spake a parable because... He was nigh unto Jerusalem. He was coming near to Jerusalem. He was in Bethany, almost to Jerusalem. And because they had thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. They, they said, because of what we've seen earlier, they saw uh, a man rise from the dead. Now they see this going on with Zacchaeus. And they're thinking the kingdom is coming. Jesus is going to come into, into Jerusalem. And what they meant by the kingdom coming was this. That Jesus was going to come and wreck havoc with those Romans. He's going to go in and He's going to wreck them. He's going to show those Romans who's boss and we the Jews are going to take over Jerusalem again. But that is not why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? To seek and to save that which was lost. He was coming after Zacchaeus. He was not coming after the Romans to destroy them. He was coming after the Romans to save them from their sin. And this would take time. Jesus, who is the all-powerful God, came to earth as a man in a small area of the world and said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, where are people lost? Just around Jerusalem? All over the world. Now we might say, couldn't Jesus have just saved everybody in the world by the snap of His finger? We might say, well, God is God, and so I guess He could do anything He wants. But it would not have met with the justice of God, nor would it have met with the way of God who wanted all people to know the gospel and be saved. They wanted, Jesus, our God, wants people to hear the gospel. How that He died on the cross for their sin. To pay the penalty that they deserve. Without that, we do not know the love of God. Right? If He had snapped His fingers, we would not know the love of God. 
But it's a big deal what Jesus did. It's a big deal what Jesus did. Because here in His love, not that we first loved Him, but that He died for us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Without the Gospel, people don't know the love of God. And so it is the Gospel that must be known so that the love of God can be known. Zacchaeus knew it. And the folks said, well, the kingdom's coming. And so Jesus gives this parable. Verse 12. And he said, therefore, a certain noble man went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. May God help us this morning as we consider this parable and what Jesus Christ has for us. It takes a long time for people to hear the gospel. Not in that it takes a long time for uh, a person to be able to go through the gospel and, and a person understand it, but it's going to take the people who know the gospel verbalizing it all over the world in order for people to hear it. And we love to talk about missions and how all the world needs to know. Do you think there's anybody in Richmond who hasn't heard the gospel? You think there's anybody in Hope Valley who hasn't heard the gospel? From credible lips? From a true, genuine, Bible-believing Christian? Not from a charlatan on TV? Not from the mass mailers that are sent out by... The, some folks that, that are crazy out there. If you've ever gotten a mailing with a handkerchief that said, send me $20 and your prayer request and make sure you're, you're touching this handkerchief when you, when you ask, you send me that $20 and I'll, I'll make sure your prayer gets answered. That person is a charlatan and a liar. Did you know this is what most people get when they when they think about Christianity is what they get in the mail. There's something that that's sand. That's nothing. Is no value. But what you have with the gospel is of infinite value. You may be a very fragile vessel. But you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And by that Holy Spirit, you have the power of the gospel by your lips. And so he says, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. That word occupy is the Greek word pragmatonome. Pragmatonome. It's where we get our word pragmatic. Right? We often think of pragmatic as someone who, who thinks through things and does the, the logical thing. Or someone who is uh, thoughtful when it comes to business. And that's true. The Scripture says, occupy till I come. In other words, do those things that, are, that, that make sense to the reason why you're alive. <laughs> Make, make your life make sense. 
If you're a banker, then it makes sense for you to learn how to do finances, right? When I was in school, when I got saved, I was going to school for business. My thought in going to college was one day I would be a CEO and I would make millions of dollars. <laughs> Praise the Lord, He changed my, my way of thinking. But you learn in school the pragmatic way in which to do business. You can read all kinds of the books out there. Get Rich Quick. Poor Dad, Rich Dad. How to make friends and keep them and and all these things. I tell you, there's a pragmatic way. (laughs) One of the best ways that you can be stable in your life is not to hold on to a lot of debt. (laughs) It's pretty pragmatic, isn't it? (laughs) Pretty pragmatic. Don't don't get your life filled with debt. (laughs) By the way, that's what the Scripture says. And so we could look at the pragmatic way of banking, but what he's talking about here is living pragmatically or occupying in the way that you have been made to live, and that is to glorify God with your life. People think in their hearts, well, I'm not a pastor, and so my life doesn't is not going to be able to mean as much, or I won't be able to do as much, I won't be able to be part of, of as much. Did you know that where you are in your life, wherever it might be, you can occupy until Jesus comes? I heard the gospel not from paid ministers, but from other students who said, I'm going to be a student and be pragmatic in my life. I'm going to let my life be used of God as a student. That was an amazing thing. I praise the Lord for those young people, when I was young, who lived their life before me and gave me the gospel. I remember going to work for some Christians, and they had tracks, these businessmen had tracks for their employees to read. I'd pick them up and read them. I remember being in school, and I'd go use the bathroom. And next to the toilet were chick tracks. I can remember reading the chick track, the Titanic. Somebody said, you know what? I'm going to let my life be pragmatic. I'm going to occupy till Jesus comes. I'm going to let my life so shine before men that they see my good works. I'm going to let my life be used for the gospel's sake. I don't know who left those tracks. But the first time I read a chick track was not after I got saved. It was before I got saved. I did enjoy it too. Well, that's pretty interesting. I didn't get saved because of it, but I I read them all. He had about six different ones. I read them all. God can use you in those ways. I've heard of... Mailmen going to the hospitals and leaving tracks on the tables at the hospitals. It's a pragmatic way to live. It's a way to occupy till you come. Businessmen who put Jesus loves you on their sign. Pragmatic way to live. It's a way to occupy till you come. 
It's going to be different in your, in your life. Maybe you're a mom. How am I going to live my life that way? Do you ever go to the park? You know, it's not wrong for mom to get her little toddlers at the little picnic table and open her Bible and talk about Jesus to her toddlers. Or have your children learn the VBS song so much that they scream about it in the grocery store. These are ways we occupy till He comes. You pray for your family and your co-workers and your, your neighbors and you ask God to give you an opportunity to give the gospel to them. To open a door. And you know what? God is very good. And He's very good at opening doors. You're living as a Christ, uh, Christ-like person in this world. Living for Him. And God's going to open doors for you to share the gospel. Maybe that person doesn't get saved. Maybe they get saved later. Or maybe they never get saved at all. But God accounts these things. I want you to notice what the Scripture says. Verse 13. And He called His ten servants and delivered them ten pounds. And said unto them, Occupy till I come. But His citizens hated them and sent a message after Him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Not a lot of folks are looking to be reigned by Jesus today, even though His burden is light. (laughs) It's a shame that the people that God has made, they don't love Him. I was once one of them. I'm so glad that I'm not anymore. Verse 15, And it came to pass when He was returned, having received the kingdom. By the way, Jesus is going to come back. He is going to receive this world as His kingdom. We might look at it today and say that it's the kingdom of the devil and the Scripture says that's true. But Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take that devil and this earth is going to be His. Right? Don't worry. And He came to pass when He was returned, having received the kingdom, when He commanded these servants to be called unto Him, to whom it was given the money, that He might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then He came to the first, saying, Lord, Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And He said unto him, Well, Thou good servant, because Thou hast been faithful in a very little... By the way, underline that little phrase, very little... Have thou authority over ten cities. It's amazing what the Lord considers our work on this, in this world to be. Not to belittle the work here, but to expand the work there. God's not saying, hey, your evangelistic efforts, that's just little. He's not saying that. He's saying the work that will come in heaven. The authority that you will have in the millennium pales in comparison to the work here. He's not saying that this is such a little work it's not worth doing. He's saying do the little work here and just wait until you get there. If you think being excited about what I can do through you here on this earth, wait until you see what I do through you once you get up there. That's what he's saying when he says, thy little work. You guys with me on that? 
and faithful in a very little. Verse 18, And the second came, Lord, thy pound of gain, five pounds. And he said, Likewise, be thou over five cities. And another saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up what thou laidest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth I will judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I did not lay down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou not my money unto the bank, that I may at my coming have required mine own with usury? At least I would have gotten a little interest. (coughs) It's a parable here. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give unto him that had ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he has ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not even that which he hath shall be taken away. He's saying, listen, if you don't live that occupying life, when you get there, even the little bit you do have will be taken away. God wants us to live a life Every day for His glory because He's worth it and He deserves it. He is the God of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the greatest, the great I Am. There's none like Him. We know we fail and fall short of these things. But today is a new day and a new week. And we can live this day for the Lord. Amen? And we can begin to live tomorrow for the Lord. Maybe you haven't gotten into your Scriptures as, the, as you once did, tomorrow and today is a new day. Maybe you haven't prayed and asked God to open doors for you as you once did. Today is a new day, and so tomorrow will come as well. Maybe you've never really thought about how you might occupy. Maybe you've never thought about taking a track and giving it to someone who served you. Maybe you've never thought about uh, serving your family by... Speaking to them about what the Word of God says. But today is a new day, and God says you can start living your life occupying for me. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2 4, and we'll close. Very similar word, pragmatia, in 2 Timothy 2 4. This will be a familiar verse for many of you. The Scripture says in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That word affairs is is similar, almost the same word, just a different tense. Just a very small difference in the word between Luke 19. And here it says, you don't entangle yourself with the pragmatic. Was God contradicting Himself? No. He is saying, live your life for Me in every part of your life. Right? If you're a businessman or woman, live your life for the Lord in your business. If you work under somebody, do what you do heartily under the Lord and not under men. If you're a student... Live your life as a student for the glory of God. If you're a pastor, oh, may God help you. 
that you'd live your life for the Lord. Amen? If you're a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle, live your life for the Lord. Be pragmatic in your life being lived for Him. Amen? Think about how you might live your life as a daddy or a mommy, as a brother or a sister, as a, as a person at work or a person who owns the work, um, as a person who goes to school, as, a, as a, an elementary school student or a, a high school student or a college student, or however it is, live your life for the Lord. Maybe you're, you, you're, your job is to go to the grocery store. Live your life for the Lord. Maybe it's to go pick up the pizza at, uh, at, at, at uh, Town Pizza. Live your life for the Lord. Maybe it's to, to uh, teach children at church. Live your life for the Lord in that. And don't let Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night be the only time you think to live for the Lord. You guys with me on that? Because here's what the Scripture ends with. Remember, who's He talking to? This is what it says in verse 27. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring them hither and slay them before me. That sounds pretty bleak. But that is what will happen To every person who refuses Christ. Every person who refuses to have Christ reign over them. And His reign over us is good. But they say, I will not. I will not. By the way, most atheists are atheists not because they don't believe that God is. Or even that Jesus is. They don't want God to have any reign over them. They don't want God to be able to say, that's a sin. You need to be saved. They'd rather say, I don't care, I don't believe in God, and so I can do whatever I want. There's a problem with that. Just because you say there is no God doesn't mean that that's true. (laughs) And one day we will find out that God is. Jesus died to save us from our sin. He died to save us from the penalty of our sin, which we all deserve. But if we put our life in His hands and say, I believe You, God. I believe You, Jesus. He will take us, save us, and give us an eternity with Him. Jesus said, The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, be slayed, but have everlasting life. I asked Jesus to be my Savior when I was 19 years old. I believed with all my heart. And He has made all the difference. And I look forward to one day going to heaven And my prayer is that when I go, that I won't have a little pound in a napkin, but that my life would have meant something for God in this world. May God help us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You may be here today and you are not saved.
The word saved means to be taken out of a bad situation and brought into a better situation. When Jesus died to save you from your sins, He died to take you from the worst situation, hell, and give you a home in the very best of places, heaven. He died to take you from the very worst of lives which lead to destruction and give you new life in Him for eternity. This is what it means that Jesus saves. He takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and places you into the kingdom of His Son, into the kingdom of light. He gave His life so that you could be saved. All you have to do is believe. You have to believe that He gave His life on that bloody cross for you. And because He's... Because He is God, He was fully able to raise Himself up from the dead. In the quietness of the moment, if you're here today and you say, I am not saved, you can be saved right now. It did not take an effort on my part to be saved. I simply had to believe and call upon Him. He says... All who call upon me shall be saved. And so I remember being in my dorm room at 19 years old and I asked Jesus. I prayed a little prayer. It was actually written out for me in a little booklet. I read it. That's all I did. But I believed every word that I read. And I directed it right to Jesus. And He saved me. I'd like to lead in a small prayer. Not long. But it's admitting that you're a sinner. It's acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And it's asking Him to be your Savior. That's what the prayer is all about. It's not going to save you if you don't believe it. It's not magic words. You have to believe. But if you believe these things and you call upon Him, I promise you this, He's not a liar. He's going to save you. And so in the quietness of the moment, if you're here today and you say, I'm not saved, I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior. If that's you today, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray with you that prayer. Just simply look me in the eyes and I'll know. Simply raise your hand. Raise your head and look me in the eyes and I'll know. Anybody today say, I'm not saved, but I believe and I want to ask Him now. Christian, it's hard for me to come to this passage and not think how my life might be able to be used of the Lord more here or more there, more with my family or more in the the places where I eat fast food or get my my uh, my uh, coffee or 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 with a friend or a neighbor. I, I come to this and say, Lord, I want to be I want to be used in the quietness of the moment, Christian. Specifically in the ways that God is laying on your heart now. Not just Lord, I want to be used, but Lord, here is something I, I think you're laying on my heart, a way that you want me to occupy, a way you want me to live until you come so that you can be glorified. Help me to do it in the quietness of the moment. Would you ask God to help you in that? As we come 
to this song. I surrender all as the singers, song leaders come. And as they begin to play, you guys can begin to play it. And the uh, song leaders can, can come in after the first or second verse. Spend time with God and ask Him to help. And as the Lord leads, you can stand and sing with us. I surrender all.